Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. Girl, I wanna be your goddamn idol And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard For the same motherfucking title But I We are not going to be arguing about the door prom party. Myth busted like 18 <laughs> years ago. I really I really didn't know which way you were going to go with this intro. And in my brain, in my stupid brain, it's like, if I jump, you jump. Just like that. Hell yeah. Hey, DJ, throw that back. <laughs> Dude, I miss Luda. You want to go see Fast X? Is that what you're trying to say? No. Oh, okay. I, I really don't. Respectfully, Luda, I don't care about your acting career. I want you to come back to music. <laughs> That's perfect. Also, I got that lyric wrong. It's definitely bring that back, not throw that back. That's throwing, okay. Throwing it back means something entirely different. Yes, yes, it does. <laughs> Luda's throwing it back. Luda is throwing it back. <laughs> but we are not here to talk about Luda or any of the Fast and the Furious movies. We are here to talk about Titanic, though. God, has, has any other podcast done an episode on Titanic and opened by talking about Fast and the Furious and ludicrous <laughs> look we are groundbreaking individuals we know this and if we're gonna be the first to open a podcast about titanic by talking about ludicrous i'm thrilled yeah i mean it's not like there are any people of color in this movie anyway but that's neither here nor there that's its own separate issue there's italians there fabrizio my man <laughs> <laughs> also not a person of color but yes i mean in 1912 sort of that's complicated but yeah. italians have a complicated history with <laughs> with how they're treated yes this is very true and i mean we can't talk about fabrizio a little bit yeah but yeah so we're talking about titanic this movie is turning 25 it is back in theaters as of like five minutes before we recorded this it has now pulled forward and retaken its spot as the third highest global box office uh, film in history, which means the three highest grossing films globally of all time have all been directed by James Cameron. Dude is, uh, dude's untouchable. You never bet against James Cameron. Like, that's the, the, the rule we should all know. That's, I it, That's the, the thing that everyone on Twitter said incessantly. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I will admit, when Avatar Way of the Water was getting ready to go into theaters, I was like, man, are people going to even care about this? It's been so long. And yeah, I stand corrected. People really, really care about it. I don't. I know you don't. It's okay. I just, it's so goddamn long. I know. <laughs> this is also so goddamn long. Oh, it was. I, I had to ask BJ when we were sitting down to watch Titanic. Where is the break in the two VHSs? Because I don't remember. And you go, oh, it's right 
it's right after the iceberg hits and they talk about the headline. I went, okay, cool. We get to that moment. I'm like, man, I'm tired. I'm, I'm ready for this movie to be done. <laughs> and the, the boat hasn't even crashed yet. No, the boat crashed. It's just, it's not sinking, it's not sinking, sinking yet. yet. It's it's still very buoyant. And I'm like, God, I'm, I'm exhausted. There's just so much movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. We're, we're going to clear the air kind of right off the bat with this one. Titanic is a massive movie. This is a disaster epic. This is a romance. It's a historical piece. There has been so much academia about Titanic, and we're not here to do that. We're not going to talk about the historical accuracies. We're not going to talk about the logistics of whether or not this is what the boat would have looked like. There are countless podcasts articles, academic essays, books that you can read if you are interested in that aspect of Titanic. That's not our show. No, we talk about ludicrous. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're a teen girl podcast, so we're here to talk about the girl part as both Rose and the fact that this is like the biggest movie of all time for like four separate generations of young women Absolutely. and gays. <laughs> yeah, also that too. But the thing that people forget all the time when talking about Titanic is that Rose is 17 years old. Mm -hmm. This is a teen girl story. One of the biggest movies of all time is completely anchored, no pun intended, <laughs> by the experiences of a teenager. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really, really incredible. And I think this is a great example of something we talk about all the time where similarly to like elevated horror, right? Where they're like, oh, this isn't a horror movie. This isn't an elevated horror movie because they don't want to get lumped in with schlock. Titanic gets pitched as, oh, this is an epic. Oh, this is this masterful piece of blockbuster cinema. They don't want to acknowledge this is also a teen girl movie. No, this is one of those films that is so gargantuan that it leaves its neighborhood where it's like, is Jaws a horror movie? Technically, but do people treat Jaws like a horror movie unless you're a horror movie person? You go, no, it's just Jaws. It's Jaws. It's, it lives in its own category, and Titanic definitely feels that way. But with it being a 25-year anniversary and being one of the biggest films ever, it felt very important to us that we talk about how important the teen girl aspect of this movie is, not just thematically and from a storytelling perspective, but also in its place in our cultural lexicon, because this is an extremely important movie to girls, not like just women and moms, because they're also big fans too, but girls. Mm -hmm. And this, this movie made so much money because a lot of people went to see it 20 times. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I knew people who did. Uh, this was also a sleepover staple as well for a very long period of time. And we'll definitely talk about that. But I want to talk about our our first introductions to the movie. Uh-huh. I know the story behind yours, and I would love for you to talk about it on air. <laughs> so my family was a lot closer when I was younger. Um, I think we just did more stuff together. And then grandkids started to get older, and we just stopped doing shit together. But it was a whole thing where it was like the cousins and my aunts and my mom and we like we all went and saw Titanic. And I remember that we were in like the fourth row. So I am a small child in the fourth row of a movie theater and I look up at the screen and don't remember having any strong feelings about watching this movie at all, except for I go, ooh, 
boobies loudly in the theater during the very erotic drawing scene and my mother slapped me (laughs) (laughs) and those are that's my strongest lasting memory of seeing titanic (laughs) is seeing titties and immediately punished for it yeah basically (laughs) i never wasn't punished for seeing titties i was punished for exclaiming that there were titties (laughs) (laughs) that every time you tell that story it just cracks me up like obviously not that your mom slapped you but like Thinking about people being just enraptured in a theater, sitting in the dark, watching this beautiful moment just to hear the small voice of a child I was going, six. ooh, <laughs> boobies. Yep. I was, uh, I believe, six years old. And so, yeah, that was the first time I ever saw boobs. And I thought Titanic was a movie. That's I don't re- I don't remember it being feeling super long. Apparently, I had more patience for it as a mm-hmm. six year old than I do now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I was not swept up in Titanic fever as a small child like everyone else was. I just thought it was fine. <laughs> so I, in all honesty, don't remember the first time that I saw Titanic, but I do remember the the subsequent times because one of them was a big deal. We watched it at this gal's birthday party. Her mom had to get permission from all of our parents when we were getting dropped off for the sleepover. Like, you know, she really wants to watch Titanic. Mm -hmm. I know it's really long Mm -hmm. and there is nudity. So like, are you okay with that? And my mom obviously was like, I don't give a fuck. tasteful nudity. Yeah. And also going to a museum. And also like we're all young girls and we're seeing nudity of a woman. So like this is a body we will theoretically someday have yeah it's not like billy zane is just whipping out his throbbing member (laughs) right right like that's not really a thing um my mom didn't care but there was one girl who didn't get to come to the sleepover because her mom was like that's filth we're not doing it and i always felt really bad for her but that like summer after it came out on vhs it was at like every sleepover that i went to Mm -hmm. which is why i know where the break is in the tapes which is yes when the captain's like well mr igsby you're gonna have your headlines after all or whatever the actual line is and then it cuts to black and that's also where there's a commercial break when they show it on tv Mm -hmm. so when i watch the movie now as an adult and that break isn't there it always kind of like jolts me i'm like wait no there's next scene moving (laughs) on there's a break there um so so very, very strange. It's where you would flip the side two of a record. Yes, yes. Where, where it's like, man, it's weird that the wall, you can play it in one seamless thing, mm-hmm. but it breaks three times across <laughs> four records. <laughs> yeah, and so something that I find very interesting about that is there's kind of like two schools of thought on Titanic because it's like, you could watch the whole movie, which I think you should, but I understand. It's over three hours long. That's that's a lot. So there were definitely people who were like tape one people and tape two people. If you were a tape one person, like that's the romance. That is Jack and Rose falling in love. It's all of that like sentimentality. And then tape two is everybody dying. Yes. And so it very much is like if you didn't have it in you to watch the whole thing, you could pick which side you wanted. This is like the the turn the notebook off before the sad ending. (laughs) No, they're happy. It's fine. Right. Turn Um, off Marley and me early. It's okay. (laughs) So, you know, that's definitely a part of its longevity because I also knew people who just didn't watch tape two ever. They're like, yeah, I'm watching Titanic again. I'm like, girl, that's like the fifth time this month you've watched it. Oh, well, I only watched the first half. And I'm like, 
Oh. See. Okay. <laughs> that shit is wild. So so we guessed it on a podcast called Queer Quadrant, and the episode's going to come out a little ways down the line. But they've been doing a million posts about Titanic, like, in the past couple of weeks. One of which was, which side, of, which VHS were you? Mm-hmm. And I think it was, like, two to one people preferred the first one. Mm-hmm. And I have this weird anomaly in my brain where I'm trying to, like, fun home my own family mm-hmm. where my brother my brother was uh 10 when he would have seen this i was six my brother was a fascinated by the titanic he became very fixated and obsessed with titanic the movie the the boat the he had a a point and click adventure mystery game for our computer where you go back in time and have to solve a mystery on the titanic i think to stop it from sinking and you lose no matter what I don't. I never got that it's far. So bleak. I think. I mean, the ti- people in the movie theater were cheering for the Titanic to not sink. Yeah, yeah, that's not gonna happen. The boat sank. That's just the reality of it. So I have this thing in my brain where I'm retrospectively trying to unravel why my brother was obsessed with this very emphatically girl movie as a ten mm-hmm. year old, and like my brother died in 2015, I think, and I only know this because I had to figure out when Fury Road came out. Um, Because I saw it right after the funeral. (laughs) It was awesome. But I wonder if my brother was enraptured with like the whole of Titanic or if it's like how kids like Tonka trucks and my brother liked boats. So he's like, ah, a big boat. Mm -hmm. Ooh, a disaster film. Like, I don't know. Twister or something, but a boat. (laughs) Also Bill Paxton. Yes. I'm like, I don't know exactly what. I don't know if it was the spectacle, but I'm legitimately trying to like fun home my own family and be like, why did my brother like Titanic so much? Why did he have a poster in his bedroom as a young boy? And this is where people would be like, that's egg behavior. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I mean, for those who may have not heard any of our previous episodes, what kind of human being was your brother? And why is it so weird that he would be into Titanic? Uh, he was a, a beer drinking mechanic of a man who was... Who smoked Newports and and said gay slurs and the N-word liberally. And he he liked the Confederate flag a lot, despite being born and raised in Ohio, because he was a big fan of the Dukes of Hazzard. Yeah. And somehow he liked Titanic a lot as a smaller child. Yeah. So this is where I'm like (laughs) trying to, this is where I'm trying to unravel being like, let's go back in time to my own hypothetical, the point and click adventure of the Titanic (laughs) and try and solve this mystery. So, like, Titanic was around. We had the VHS in the house. Like, it was it was present in my life, and yet I still don't remember having any strong feelings for it as a child. That's really funny. I do like that you brought up that, like, he became obsessed with, like, the boat, because there definitely was a generation of people, they call themselves, like, Titanic kids, mm-hmm. where because of this movie, they then got obsessed with the history and started falling down, like, all of these different rabbit holes of learning everything about the passengers, learning everything about the boat, why it was a failure, how this... This could have been prevented. Like, I get it. Like, people kind of do that from time to time with historical events, especially if they become really popular in movies. Um, mm-hmm. The difference being is that it's only been very recently where, where now there's, like, Titanic truthers yeah. who are trying to be like, uh, they actually sank it on purpose for insurance, and they didn't. That's yeah. fake. If you've seen that viral TikTok, it's bullshit. This like, that didn't happen. ancient aliens level of we're bored and history itself isn't <laughs> enough to entertain us. Right, right, right. Um, So this is just all to say that we are going to be focusing very heavily specifically on Rose and her story and why she's important and not so much into any of like the the groundbreaking technological achievements in cinema that is Titanic, because obviously that's a huge part of it. There are other podcasts for that. 
go find them. Uh, this is a teen girl movie podcast. We're going to stick with the teen girl movie story. Yeah, which I guess one thing I want to say about the technical aspect that I do remember is that I think TV spots ran like segments to show off how they did effects for the boat. Mm -hmm. And I distinctly remember like them showing off how they like CG'd in crowds and made people board the ship and made it look real at the time. And I think that's when I realized cinematically Santa Claus wasn't real. (laughs) (laughs) You mean this boat didn't really crash and they filmed it? Kind of like, I think it was just understanding that CG was a thing and that you could Mm -hmm. mix all this and... I don't know. I don't think like my five, six year old brain could process that in the lead up to this being released as, oh, James Cameron is trying to immerse you in like the beautiful, practical world of cinema. And yet here's all the CG. It's going to suck you out of the practical thing as a small (laughs) child. (laughs) That's really funny. But before we start breaking apart the story of Rose, it is time for everyone's favorite part of the show. This message is for anybody in the greater Cleveland metropolitan area. Join the Short Sweet Film Fest from March 1st through the 5th for their 12th annual festival showcasing bite-sized films from up-and-coming filmmakers at the local, national, and international levels. The Short Sweet Film Fest exclusively features films under 40 minutes and curates content for all palettes, including specialized programming for horror, animation, and queer cinema. The festival will be held at the Atlas Cinemas in Shaker Square, Cleveland, Ohio, with tickets starting at only $15. To purchase tickets or get more information about the festival, please visit shortsweetfilmfest.com. Hey there, prom party. We have some fun things planned for this month outside of just the main show. Over on the Patreon, we have some episodes coming up for Harold and Maude for Valentine's Day. 40 Days and 40 Nights for a little bit of romance and because it's Lent and that seems appropriate. But more importantly, Shannon Sossaman's there and we could all use more of her in our lives. We're going to be doing a musical milestones episode on Evanescence, which BJ has been dying to talk about for pretty much for the entirety we've been doing that segment. Because in case you didn't know, BJ had three separate Amy Lee posters hanging in her childhood bedroom. Uh, We're continuing to work our way through Freaks and Geeks. We're doing episodes four, five, and six this month, as well as something new we have planned for coming to the Patreon this month. So many people send us requests every single week. So we're launching a suggestion box. So if you want to join the Patreon at even the lowest tier of $1, you'll get access to that. And you can just sort of anonymously say like, hey, here's some stuff that I would really like it if you covered. In addition to all of that, We've also got the playlist, we have our monthly newsletter, and access to all of the awesome stuff we have in the back catalog. And as always, we totally understand if you're not able to support the Patreon. Just go ahead and give us a rating if you can, and shout us out to any of your friends who you think might might like, like what we offer. Thank you so much, and now back to the movie. So while Titanic is absolutely the story of a teen girl, this does not follow any of the conventions of a typical teen girl movie story. No, so, this has left that neighborhood. Yeah. That ship has left port. <laughs> so trying to find a way to figure out where this fits contextually is kind of a fool's errand because, again, like Titanic is its own beast. But what context are you bringing to the table in terms of, hey, kids, remember 1997? 
So this will be our third film from 1997, and it has absolutely nothing in common with the made-for-TV version of Cinderella or Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. <laughs> so I think we can comfortably remove it from our, our normal lexicon. Yeah. Something that I think is very fascinating when talking about, like, Titanic is that James Cameron does what he wants, and so trying to follow trends for why this movie was made is preposterous because it's just James Cameron going... I want to look at the boat. I want to go down to the bottom of the ocean and look at the boat. I'm going to write a movie about it. Yeah, okay. So, like, <laughs> that sounds like we're doing a bit, but that's 100% what happened. James Cameron, essentially, for the sake of, like, historical preservation and his own interests, did what Adam Sandler does, where he just picks a location and goes on vacation with his buddies as an excuse to make a movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's pretty much what happened. He was Because James Cameron is... In addition to being just a ridiculously talented director, he is one of the world's, like, strongest forces in terms of, like, ocean preservation and environmentalism. He has so many, like, documentaries on the Nas National Geographic channel. Mm -hmm. He, like, one of my uh, writers over at Slash Film uh, wrote an article basically saying that Avatar The Way of the Water is the most expensive commercial to save the whales ever made. Mm -hmm. Like, dude fucking loves the water. Yes. And he loves the Titanic. So he really was like, well, the only way I'm ever going to be able to actually explore the wreckage of the Titanic is if I have an excuse to do it. So I'm going to write a movie about Titanic. Therefore, I can have an excuse to explore the Titanic. Yeah. Incredible. On someone else's dime. Yes, absolutely incredible. <laughs> uh, the movie famously was like $65 million over budget, just out of control. And a lot of it is because he wanted to explore the Titanic. Um, but he laughed his way all the way to the bank. Yeah. So trying to like unpack this in the scope of most films is really silly because this also had like a very long production cycle for a movie. It was, I think they shot it two years before it was released is mm -hmm. when they started. Mm -hmm. And that's not even accounting for all of the stuff that like wound up to that. So in the nineties, we started to see um, probably the first breakthrough since the early seventies in terms of special effects and what we were able to achieve. Industrial and, light and magic, baby. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And with that came a boom of disaster films because we could showcase them. We could start showcasing effects that we had never thought were possible. And Titanic really was not the first. Uh, like, I already mentioned Twister, and that came out before this. You had stuff like... Jurassic like, Park. Jurassic Park, obviously. So films existed before Titanic, but we got way more disaster films after. In the early parts of the 90s, we had a lot of romance films. That's where you start to see your your Sandra Bullocks and your Julia Roberts, Julia Roberts Meg Ryan. those sort of like mom all caps romance films. Mm -hmm. And the romance film had always existed, but it wasn't like the blockbuster to the extent that it would be in the 90s consistently. Mm -hmm. And I, I I do have a little bit of a theory about that. And I say this as somebody who has done very little like research on actual writing for the teen romance of the 80s films to the mom romance of the 90s films pipeline. Mm -hmm. But I feel like women of the 90s grew up watching those films and they went, I'm an adult. I want adult romance. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's how you start to see the tremendous boom of stuff like that in the 90s, which is sort of how we get Titanic. I think that you're totally right. I think that theory holds water. And something else that I think... <laughs> holds water. <laughs> this is going to be a problem the entire episode. <laughs> um, but I think another thing to keep in mind is just looking at where we were culturally. 
the 80s is, you know, the, the Reagan era land of women who can do it all that are working. They are, you know, I can bring home the bacon and fry it up in a pan. So we have women that are doing everything. And then once we start getting into the 90s, the, the divorce rate is starting to skyrocket. People are starting to be really unhappy in a lot of their really loveless marriages. Oh, yeah. So movies like romance became really popular because it was a way to kind of heal that like lack of romance in your own life yep. being in a miserable loveless marriage where your husband is like well I expect you to work full time and take care of the kids and do all of the, like the house cleaning stuff and people were fucking miserable and like the one solace they had was a goddamn Julia Roberts movie yeah I, I I've unpacked this in past episodes about how again th- this is me just fun homing my whole fucking family for this episode apparently <laughs> but my mom was obsessed with, like, the chick flick of the mm-hmm. 90s. Because chick flick, I don't think, was a defined genre before the 90s. I think that's when it became, like, more commonplace of, like, this is how we refer to this genre of movie. Yeah. But my mom was, like, a chick flick romance person. Like, that was almost exclusively the films she watched. And it was because she was so unhappy in her marriage. And so it was a fantasy. It was escapism. It is the idea of oh my God, I'm betrothed to Billy Zane and he sucks. But what if I find a manic pixie dream boy who to carry me away to Wisconsin? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, I mean, that's the kind of thing that we see even now with like Hallmark movies, right? Absolutely. The cold, unfeeling world and you find a guy that's going to change your life forever, but he's a hunky guy who looks like the brawny man and a little bit less like a twink. Or you're going to have, like, a very wonderful Christmas experience with a family that everybody loves each other yeah. to help deflect from the fact that your own family's falling apart. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of escapism. It, 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 is, it is a fantasy, but it's set in reality. Correct. This is the fantasy of the reality you wish that you had. Yeah, and I think in terms of, like, flipping that maybe to the other side of, like, you know, the the, the, the VHS 2, the, the, the second VHS people, mm-hmm. thinking about, like, the fantasy of reality... We're also out of the Cold War, and I feel like that timing up with the fact that we're like, man, we don't have to worry about shit like the day after anymore. Let's just blow things up. (laughs) I think that's definitely part of it, and why I think that Titanic is such a brilliant film is because James Cameron effortlessly weaved the romance, the, the period drama, all of that, which is on paper extremely feminine, like this is a woman's sort of genre, with a disaster film where people are dying and boats are exploding and there's just chaos everywhere, which is viewed as way more masculine. So he found a way to get everybody in the theater because there was something for everybody in Titanic. And I think that that is like super villain levels of brilliance. Mm -hmm. Um, But obviously I don't think James Cameron is like a wholly bad person. He's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. No. But by and large... I'm I'm like very centrist he, he, on James Cameron. He's a madman who does what he wants, and I respect that. But James Cameron doesn't really make movies for me right. anymore. Um, I think a thing that's actually where like like kind of a, a parallel thing to this that I find fascinating is uh, do you know who was making the, the biggest most romantic music videos of the early to mid '90s? Stuff like for Meatloaf. Who do you know who was directing his videos? Hmm. Michael Bay. Oh, yeah, that's right. It was Michael Bay. So that, and he also did the I Touch Myself video, amongst others. Mm -hmm. So there is something about, like, just the biggest, most bombastic feelings you could imagine. Like, a a world where the power of music is just being belted out of you, Phantom of the Opera style, and how there's some declaration of love that is extremely appealing during Mm -hmm. this time. 
And then, you know, Michael Bay would go on to do his own his second, own exploding his own second VHS <laughs> for the rest of his career. <laughs> so not related, but it's parallel in a way that's very interesting. I agree completely. So now that we've sort of set that stage, let's talk about the story of Titanic. Because yes, the the disaster is fascinating. It is tragic. It is all of the things that we've talked about. But the emotional weight of this entire movie is carried by 19-year-old Kate Winslet playing 17-year-old Rose. Mm -hmm. And I am obsessed with Rose as a character. I think she is one of the most fascinating teen protagonists in any movie, even though Titanic as a script is not super well-written. Of all of the Oscars it was nominated for, Best Original Screenplay was not one of them. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Uh, it's this is we are playing with big archetypes. Th- these characters are, you know, a little a little more than two dimensional, but not by a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have Rose, who is a woman who was raised in opulence. She comes from a lot of wealth. Uh, But we also learn later on that her father has passed away and was not smart with his money and left behind a lot of debts, Mm -hmm. which she and her mother have since had to pay off, uh, and now they have nothing. So the answer to keeping financial security is that Rose is going to be married off to a 30-year-old man named Cal, who is played by Billy Zane, who was a goddamn cartoon character, and I'm obsessed with him. in the 90s was a next-level villain. He's so amazing. Why is this man not in more things? (laughs) And people love to shit on Cal, where they're like, no man is that evil, and I was like, you've not been around a lot of men. He's extremely realistic to me. Uh Uh-huh. And so, yeah, she she's basically being married off into a rich family to secure the financial wealth of her existing family, which is really fucking shitty and sadly very common. Like this was especially a, during this time, especially yes. during this time period. So she's miserable. She knows that she's about to be set up for a lifetime of unhappiness. So her thoughts in being on the Titanic is I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> like that's where her mind is. I think one of the ways she describes it is it like, you know, oh, I looked so beautiful, whatever, whatever. But inside I was screaming mm-hmm. uh, because she's miserable. And there is a deleted scene um, before we see her running on the boat about to jump where it, she's in her quarters and she's trying to call for her, her like maid servant lady her, her, her Trudy I don't yeah. know what to call her but her name's Trudy sure but she's trying to call Trudy to like help her get her her dress off and she can't like Trudy's not there for whatever reason so she's like okay fine I'll do it myself and she tries to get her own dress off and she can't because it's 1912 and all of the fashion of this time period is like a whole thing to get into so mm-hmm. she can't get out of it by herself so she's frustrated and she punches a mirror and it shatters and then she takes off and is like fuck it, I'm out. Mm-hmm. Like, I wish that that scene was still in, like, the the theatrical cut because I think it's really important because, one, it shows kind of the dramatics of a teenager, uh, but also, like, it doesn't feel as jarring of, like, wow, she suddenly is about to jump off this boat. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think that the, the dramatics of being a teen in that scene would be really important because something about Rose is that she does not scan as young as she is. Yes, and I also think that that is just the beauty and the grace of Kate Winslet. She's so damn talented. (laughs) She's so incredible because a similar thing happens in Heavenly Creatures, uh, a movie 
directed by Peter Jackson. That stars her and Melanie Linsky when they are teenagers. And they are like teenagers. They are babies. And we would love to do it on this show, but it's not available to stream anywhere. Yeah, it's ever. It's always not streaming, which is a huge bummer. But Melanie Linsky has like a very cherubic face. She looks like a 14 year old. Mm-hmm. She looks very young. Kate Winslet does not. Like she looks like a teenager, but she also looks just older beyond her years. That's just kind She there's like a regalness to her that is really hard to pinpoint. Mm-hmm. So in Titanic, she does scan a lot older than a 17-year-old. And I think that also speaks to the idea of a lot of these women who have been sort of like from birth, uh, like molded into these like women of high society. They often did scan older. Oh yeah, because- they're, they're trained. Like we see a scene where she's having like crumpets or whatever with her mother and she looks over and sees like a small girl at a table being taught how to properly put a napkin on her lap and she's just like oh god it's yeah. been me the whole time <laughs> yeah there's this adultification that happens to women in quote-unquote high society and i think that it just changes how she carries herself and that's why she reads so much older than she actually is because mm-hmm. leonardo dicaprio is a bit older than her at this point and also, Jack Dawson, the character, is canonically supposed to be, I think, 20, so a little bit older. But he is like a baby compared to her. He looks like an infant. Mm-hmm. He, Especially when he slicks his hair back, he just looks like a child who is getting dressed up for, like, First Communion. Yeah, the, the tuxedo doesn't work for him. He looks like a ring bearer. <laughs> like he it. does. Jack, I'm engaged. I'm marrying Cal. I love Cal. Rose, you're no picnic, all right? You're a spoiled little brat even. But under that, you're the most amazingly astounding, wonderful girl, woman that I've ever known. And- Jack, I- no, no, Let me try and get this out. You're, you're a mate. I'm not an idiot. I know how the world works. I've got 10 bucks in my pocket. I have nothing to offer you, and I know that. I understand, but I'm too involved now. You jump, I jump, remember? I can't turn away without knowing you'll be all right. That's all that I want. Well, I'm fine. I'll be fine. Really. Really? I don't think so. They've got you trapped, Rose. And you're gonna die if you don't break free. Maybe not right away because you're strong, but... Sooner or later, that fire that I love about you, Rose, that fire is gonna burn out. It's not up to you to save me, Jack. You're right. Only you can do that. But yeah, she's miserable and she wants out of this situation. And there's also a lot of weirdness around her virginity in this movie mm-hmm. that I think is really important to talk oh, about. You wrote a whole piece about that, didn't you? I did write a whole piece about it. So because it's, you know, Titanic week, um, over at Slash Film, I wrote a piece about why Titanic is the best argument for the cinematic sex scene. And basically, my approach to it is that. 
this entire movie is sort of centered around what Rose chooses to do with her own virginity and her sex life mm-hmm. and this form of autonomy. Um, she uses sex as both a mode of rebellion and liberation. Mm-hmm. And that is really exciting. And that is something that we don't often see with teen girl stories. Um, but that's what's happening. Like Cal is constantly being so fucking creepy to her about this. Like he gives her the the heart of the ocean and is basically like, I will give you anything as long as you are my wife and Mm -hmm. you like give me what a wife is supposed to give me. Or after, you know, Rose goes and has the party with all of the, the people on the third level, like all of the quote unquote poor people and all the immigrants. Yeah. And he's like, I had hoped you would have come to me last night. And she's like, I was tired, which is the most like, sorry, I had a headache. I didn't want to have sex with you mm-hmm. uh, sort of subtext possible. Um, so like, it's very clear that Cal wants to have sex with her before marriage. And she's like, no, I don't want to do that. And he's so threatened by Jack thinking like, oh my God, if she has sex with this guy, it's over. I mean, I do find it refreshing of the idea of like, I'm not going to have sex with you before marriage and it is secular. That's very true. Because we don't get that a lot. Okay, so because this is so outside of our typical wheelhouse, both as a period piece and as a, you know, giant blockbuster, I do think it's extremely refreshing that this doesn't follow a lot of the standards and conventions of teen romance or teen society that we would see where it's like, come on, Stacy, everyone's fucking at the prom. Like, mm-hmm. that is that is 80 years away. Like, that is nowhere near where this is. And I think that that is interesting to see. And it kind of like removes a lot of the bullshit and it just distills it down to its like purest essence of, no, I don't want to have sex with you because I don't like you. Yeah. And so I did find some statistics when I was doing research for this piece where in 1912, uh, Marshall Cavendish's Sex and Society quoted that 61% of men admitted to having premarital sex compared to only 12% of women. And so there's a couple of things going on here. One, women are lying. So there's that because well, yeah. you're being asked a formal question. Like, you're not going to be honest about that. Is this going to be on record? Yeah, exactly. Like, they're not about to be like, yeah, I've been slanging and banging before I got married. Like, that's not happening. They certainly wouldn't be using terms like slanging and banging. Also true. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, there, there's that. But the bigger thing too is that like men often like sought the company of mistresses and sex workers and that was extremely common the french girls yes i mean to the point where when rose is even taking jack to like have their big dinner she's pointing it out to him she's like you know here's so-and-so with his mistress his wife is with at home with the children of course Mm -hmm. and here's so-and-so he's like 60 and his wife is 20 weird like so this is Very common shit. So it's not out of character for men to be more sexually experienced than women at this point. And it's a huge deal if a woman is or is not a virgin. Like, purity politics are already bad as they are now. They were way worse back then. Of course. We haven't hit the roaring 20s yet. We don't have liberated, (laughs) short-haired flappers. We don't have women smoking. We don't have women smoking yet. We don't have them spitting. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've got this virginity thing going on. And yes, Titanic is very much kind of Romeo and Juliet in that sense of like, oh, people from different worlds. Most of the classic romances are. Right. Even though, as we talked about in our Valley Girl episode last week, like Romeo and Juliet's families were from the same class. So every time they do this like different worlds thing, it's stupid because that wasn't actually the point of Romeo and Juliet. But that's neither here nor there. We're Mm -hmm. getting into semantics there. That is a different Leonardo DiCaprio movie. (laughs) God, it's good, though. 
I love Baz Luhrmann. Yeah, he's the best. It's weirdo. He's so great. I love Baz Luhrmann so much. He almost makes Gatsby interesting. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, this is the world that she's kind of been thrown into. And it is very clear immediately that Jack is her manic pixie dream boy that is going to change it all for her. We really don't talk about the manic pixie dream boy as a society the way we should. We really don't. And he's he's a great example of it because Mm -hmm. like he he's. He's a street rat, so to speak. Like, yes. that's the character he's falling into. He doesn't have a... He's homeless. Like, he's a transient. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he he's just living life and exploring things and making the best of it. He's this kid from Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin, and he's just traveling the world and doing whatever and doing sketches of people. He's He's willing to do anything he can to make Rose happy because he fell in love with her at first sight. Mm-hmm. So everything is about her. Yes, he is pretty fixated on her from the get-go, and everybody does kind of like the don't even think about a lover boy Mm -hmm. sort of mentality. The Irish guy is going like, oh, no, she's too classy for you, mate. (laughs) And Fabrizio is just loud sounds. And Fabrizio is just going, ah, but a bop and a boopy. He really is. Like, okay, (laughs) segue to Fabrizio. I have a love-hate relationship with the Fabrizio character because on one hand, like, this is very, very accurate, but on the other hand, like, people love to mock Fabrizio because of how painfully Italian he is. I make it to pizza. (laughs) Like, that is... That is who this character is. My father's is. name was a pizza pasta. Like, that is who this character is. But there is, like, there are these little moments where James Cameron is being really smart. Like, when him and Jack, you know, win the tickets and they go on the boat... The people are like, have you been through the line to be checked for medical? And they're like, well, yeah. And they're like, we don't what got a-? lice or nothing. And he's like, yeah, we don't got any lice. And he's like, yeah, we're both American. And he doesn't let Fabrizio talk because he knows the second that he talks, they're going to be like, no, you can't be on this boat mm-hmm. because the Titanic is a luxury liner. That's the thing people forget is that the majority of people on this boat were very, very, very wealthy. Um, So a point we made at the beginning about how there were like really no people of color on this boat, there were three documented black people on the Titanic and most of them were Haitian immigrants. One person survived, which Mm -hmm. is phenomenal. Um, Like obviously it's a tragedy when anybody dies, but the fact that not all of them died is like shocking. Yeah, because most people on this boat fucking died Mm -hmm. and they all died because of hubris which is so frustrating victor garber did nothing wrong victor garber innocent yes (laughs) he tried he got outthrown by jumanji dad (laughs) but uh, but uh so you know you have like the immigrants on the boat and you know this is a really nice instance of like class solidarity as well because Mm -hmm. all of the immigrants and the poor people that are all kind of like shoved at the bottom of the boat are all together and celebrating and being a community. Drinking because, and dancing and having a good time. Yeah, it's lovely. You're not allowed to see the sun. <laughs> because that's how it is versus like upstairs where all the rich people are. Everybody's just being mean to Kathy Bates because she's a new money and they suck. God, Kathy Bates is so cool in this movie. Unsinkable Molly Brown is a real one. Yeah. Um, Like the character and the real life person because after... You know, she survived the Titanic. I mean, one, the the idea of, like, grab the oar, we're going back. Like, that is real. Molly Brown really did do that. Mm-hmm. She also spent a lot of her life uh, post-Titanic, like, raising money for people who lost everything, like the, like the third-class passengers. Mm-hmm. She rules. And I did find out that that character was almost played by Reba McIntyre. Which would have been cool, 
but not as good. Yeah, it would have been a really cool, fun choice, but I am glad that it's Kathy Bates because, God, I love her. Reba could do nothing wrong in the 90s in particular, but, yeah. like, it's <laughs> Kathy Bates. She's, it's Kathy. Kathy Bates is one of, like, the best actresses. <laughs> yeah, she's she's remarkable. Like, I was when we watched Titanic for the show... You watched it, tw- like, twice in a 20-hour stretch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when I sat down to watch it while you were doing other things, because it's like, well, we've got to use that rental while we've got it. Mm-hmm. I was having a bad day. It was a rough series of days. And it culminates with, like, Kathy Bates just being like, those are your men out there. And I'm like, she's right. <laughs> I was getting really emotional because Kathy Bates was just, like, making me feel something. And I was just like, this this is it. This, Kathy Bates is going to be what's going to tip me over the edge because I am just... <laughs> So upset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I love her. I think she's absolutely phenomenal. And she's like the one ally that Rose has in this entire movie. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, Rose is infatuated by Jack pretty much immediately because he's so... He's hashtag not like other boys. Like, mm-hmm. he's not like any of these rich assholes she has to spend her entire... She has spent her entire life trying to impress. The thing is, I think he is... A lot like other boys, just not boys that she's met. Yeah, very true. That's a great point. I don't know if they have quite as much like tenacity and charm. Maybe, maybe he's not bold. Maybe not as cute. Yeah, not as cute, not as boyish. I mean, I didn't <laughs> I didn't mention this when talking about the uh like our introductions to Titanic, but a gal that I did baton with had a Leonardo DiCaprio themed birthday party like oh. shortly after this movie. And it was like pirate themed because her mom couldn't get like Titanic <laughs> decorations. So they're just other boats? Yeah, there were just like lots of different boats. We played like <laughs> pin the eye patch on Leo and it was like a oh J14 picture. I love that this is a super <laughs> janky fucking Titanic party. Yeah, it was really fun though. Like, oh we my had a great God, time. That's but awesome. She, she was obsessed with Leonardo DiCaprio. Dude, I want to go to a pirate Titanic party that sounds so much fun <laughs> it was our, great our okay so former guest of the show uh cassie trainer who was on our house bunny episode and she's back in cleveland and i miss her dearly she tried to do it would have been the 20th anniversary for titanic and she tried to do an event at the bar that we worked at upstairs where they had like it was like an apartment up it, there, it was yeah. an apartment upstairs where they also do like small venues and like art showings and they had like a fancy couch put up there. They put in decorations. They had costumes. They had props. They had all these things. They were even like, here's the photo thing where you can sit on the couch and take pictures and da 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 da. No one came. So it was just her and her friend Abby getting drunk and taking pictures of each other and having a great time. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I love it. I'm I, all for it. I love a really shoddy Titanic party. I think that that's fantastic. Yeah, I think it, it's, <laughs> it makes me really happy. <laughs> I think it's super fun. So Fabrizio's there. He's kind of whatever. Let's talk about Jack a little bit more because let's just get it out of the way. Jack is a fine character. Leo, I think, is kind of phoning it in. Yeah, I've never been like super dazzled by him in this movie. Like I am all about Kate Winslet in this movie. She really carries it for me. Absolutely. Which I think just further enforces like the this is a teen girl movie because we're also seeing everything through her perspective. So any moments we have where it's like, oh, Jack is very sweet or oh, this is really endearing. It's because I'm seeing him through her eyes. Mm -hmm. Um, That character on his own does nothing for me. But that character in terms of what he represents to Rose means a lot to me. That character and what terms of what he represents to a lot of girls Mm -hmm. because that's the thing here is like 
Leo, like straight up, Leo's creepy and weird, and yeah, I Leo don't like Caprio him. Yeah, Leo the person. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah, like just know that we're not huge fans of what that man decides to do in his spare time. I will give him one one credit. He gets one credit. Yeah, he is also a very accomplished environmentalist and does a lot to like save the rainforest. He does get a brownie point there. But the everything else that doesn't touch the everything else. Nope. These are these are completely separate categories. Yep, we are on. Vi- these are two separate weighted scales going on yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. So Leo is, I think, pretty enough, and he is very much like the 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 Twilight kind of hero, where it's like you are a shell of a character who's interested enough in a girl and are good looking and that is all it takes for a girl to be smitten by you not Mm -hmm. to undersell like teenage girls but like that that kind of feels like the case where it's like the idea of jack is far more enticing than actually him yes that i agree with completely and things that i find always really interesting is people will point things out like oh she was really attracted to like his otherworldliness or that he's had all of these different lived experiences which is true Mm -hmm. but at the same time none of it is like shocking to her because when she looks through his sketchbook he's like oh here's an image of like a mother who's breastfeeding here's the image of the woman who wore every single piece of jewelry she owns waiting for her long lost life here's the image of the The, one-legged sex worker from france and apparently is awesome (laughs) who's apparently super cool and rose is not like put off or, like, weirded out by any of this. Like, she doesn't have that instant, like, ooh, weird. She's no. like, oh, this is beautiful and She's wonderful. Put off by the idea of spitting. <laughs> <laughs> and then she learns to spit and spits in Billy Zane's face. Oh, my God. It's so good. Like, I don't want to say that, like, this script feels like screenwriting 101. But, like, every single moment that's, like, Chekhov's blank is used in this movie. Like, she learns to spit, and then she spits in Billy Zane's face. It's she just, asks Victor Garber about the the lifeboats, and then there are not enough lifeboats. Like it's, it's just a very, very tight script, and I think because it's so long that you forget about things mm-hmm. because it happened an hour ago, mm-hmm. and then when it comes back around, it's like, not doesn't feel like an immediate payoff. Yeah. I think that's sort of where it comes into play. Like, it's all very much like, here's the thing we introduced on VHS-1, and then it comes back around in VHS-2. Like mm-hmm. Shaun of the Dead or something. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, but I think that her fascination with Jack, too, is just that there is a brutal honesty to what he's doing. Because, for example, going back to the sex worker thing, he's like, yeah, I met her and she was a sex worker and I was obsessed with her hands. And, you know, oh, we didn't have, like, a big love affair or anything like that. It was, you know, he basically says, like, oh, it was casual. Mm-hmm. And she's not put off by that. Because she's not stupid. Like, she knows that men will solicit sex workers. But the difference is that in the world that she's from, they don't talk about it. Yeah. Or they don't refer to it that way. Or, like, it's a thing you do not speak of. And so You it's certainly really, don't draw them. You sp- that's, certainly, that's evidence. <laughs> yeah, you don't document it. Whereas he's very honest about it, and that is very refreshing to her because she's so used to being around people who are lying to save face at all times. Mm-hmm. And that is exhausting. So on that note, let's talk about the drawing scene. Mm-hmm. How does this scene make you feel outside of ooh boobies, obviously? Of course, outside of ooh boobies. Um, I mean, there still is a little part of me that will forever be like ooh boobies. But I'm but I'm not sure how I feel about it. Because like it's good. It's really well done. It's those are clearly James Cameron's middle-aged man hands, not Leo's, <laughs> uh, which is a little distracting once you notice it. But it is warm, it's very sensual, it's it's, it's kind of awkward and playful in a way that I find really endearing. Like, I don't know if I think it's sexy, but we just did do 40 Days and 40 Nights. 
And it feels like the flower scene where it's like, oh, no, there's yeah. different ways of displaying intimacy. So I, I think it's it's sort of like that in a way that just doesn't have me trembling, but I get the appeal. Yeah. So I'm very much a fan of this scene. It might be my favorite scene in the entire movie. Mm-hmm. I think the way that it is shot is so beautiful. And it is such a well-captured moment of intimacy in the sense that, like, she makes fun of him for blushing. She's like, oh, you're so serious. Like, she mocks him. It's very playful. At the same time, it is undeniably sexy and beautiful. And then you know that the reason she's wearing the Heart of the Ocean necklace and nothing at all is because she's going to leave that in the safe for Cal to be spiteful. Oh, it's so petty. Like, this is 100% the 1912 version of like texting your ex a photo of you with your new boyfriend and being like, look what you missed out well, especially on. Especially with her nudity, he's going to be like, they fucked in the necklace. Yeah, because she knows like how weird he's being about her virginity. So she is weaponizing his insecurity against him. It is brilliant. Yeah. Like there's so many layers to that scene, but it is shot so beautifully. This is like the one time where I'm actively like really into Leonardo DiCaprio's performance. Maybe it's because he's not talking, but the way that he looks at her in this scene is so incredible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then we start to see her through his eyes and it's like, oh, he really is like enamored with her. This is not just like a physical thing. This is not just like this this poor kid who's found a way to marry rich. Like none of that exists. It's like he genuinely thinks that she's incredible. And I can see that through his eyes. And I think that that's gorgeous. And the lighting in that scene is beautiful. Everything's so warm. Ugh, beautiful. I mean, this whole movie's lit very well. Everything's oh, either very yeah. warm or very cold. Yeah. And I mean, there's videos that you can watch online that will haunt you forever. But people have done videos on like how dark it would have actually been during the boat sinking. And it is devastating and mm-hmm. so scary. Yeah. Um, but again, like... Kudos to Cameron and his lighting because it's gorgeous how warm it is. Um, But also, you know, before she is drawn, she even says to him, like, I don't need another portrait of me looking like a porcelain doll. Mm -hmm. So she's very aware of the way that she has been captured and the way that she has looked not like herself in every portrait that's ever been done of her. She has an appreciation for art in in a similar way that I think I would because, like, okay, so when you, you go to the museum... Do you ever, like, very quickly zip through, like, the Renaissance paintings where it's all just religious figures and fucking dudes on horses with hats and stuff? <laughs> um, I actually tend to zip through a lot of the modern paintings, which, like, I understand why they're important. Or just, like, big red squares? Yeah, like, I understand why that's important, but, like, I don't want to look at that. I do look at Renaissance paintings because I want to see if I can see brush strokes yeah. because that's fascinating to me. It's also why I like Monet a lot. Uh, very much from the clueless thing of from far away, it's beautiful. Up close, it's a big old mess. Yeah. I like looking at the mess. Gotcha. See, there's a whole thing about like Picasso, who obviously was a nobody at the time, but mm-hmm. he does art in a way that doesn't feel like just a depiction of human form. It doesn't feel like what we would now know as photography. Correct. Yeah. Where it's not just like people or... Fruit bowls. Or, or I guess <laughs> I guess to be more direct, it's not important people. Yeah, it's not important people that have been sitting for three hours, so their faces are frozen. Yeah, it's not like that. It's not just like a vase of flowers. Those paintings are very uninteresting to me. I care more about like, you know, fucking Saturdays in the park or whatever, Mm -hmm. where I'm going to have that Ferris Bueller scene where I just get really transfixed on one particular person going, who are you? Also, it's Sunday in the park. Whatever. (laughs) I'm thinking of Chicago. 
and it zooms in <laughs> on Cameron's face. Like that's more of what I, uh, that's more of what appeals to me, but art like that didn't properly, it's particularly in high society. It was not like the style. It wasn't in vogue. And so the art of common people is significantly more appealing to Rose. Definitely. I mean, there's even a throwaway line where there's so many throwaway lines that James Cameron has that is just pointing Cal as being an ass, where it's it's the knowledge of hindsight that we have as people watching a period piece. Very similarly to in like Detroit Rock City, where it's like Kiss would never make a disco song. Man, what a what a simile to make. (laughs) But it's the same thing because Cal's like Picasso. He'll be a nobody. Picasso. He's he's also Gene Simmons. Equal (laughs) artists. (laughs) But like. You know what I'm saying? Like, they, there's a lot of stuff like yes, that. Yes, I, I understand. Cal, which I think is great. And I also love that there's one where she starts talking about Fro- like Freudian theory and how like making a ship this big is clearly compensating for something. And then Jumanji it's, it's Dad. The, that's just his name for me. I know yeah. he has an actual name, but like Cadbury he, from Richie Rich. Yes, also Cadbury. 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 Uh, but he's like, who's Freud? Is he a passenger? And it's like, ah, ha, 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 these rich doofuses. We're both at the lamp. Rare, with very little mint sauce, right? Eh? Mm. You like lamb, right, sweet pea? Sausage. Yes, ma'am. You gonna cut her meat for her too there, Cal? <laughs> hey, uh, who thought of the name Titanic? Was it you, Bruce? Well, yes, actually. <laughs> I wanted to convey sheer size, and size means stability, luxury, and above all, strength. Do you know of Dr. Freud, Mr. Ismay? His ideas about the male preoccupation with size might be of particular interest to you. What's gotten into you? Excuse me. I do apologize. She's a pistol, Cal. Hope you can handle her. Well, I may have to start minding what she reads from now on, won't I, Mrs. Brown? Freud, who is he? Is he a passenger? I, I cited a quote from James Cameron in this like sex scene piece that he said with Far Out Magazine where he's describing the sketching scene and he says, you know what it means for her, the freedom she must be feeling. It's kind of exhilarating for that reason. And I agree with that. And, you know, old Rose, wonderful Gloria Stewart says in her monologue that it was the most erotic experience of her life thus far mm-hmm. because they gonna fuck later yeah um but she's like yeah my heart was pounding the whole time and that just i think is lovely yes so kate winslet is obviously the centerpiece of this movie she sells you on everything in a way that no one else can like she's she is carrying this entire movie on her young shoulders mm-hmm. as a result of her being so compelling and this being such a famous scene BJ, didn't you tell me that people still go up to her with pictures of her naked body, all of this drawing, and go, could you sign it for me? Yeah, because people are weirdos. Like, don't do that. Like, yes, that that piece is beautiful. A hundred percent. I think Cameron did a really wonderful job capturing her. Important to note, Kate Winslet was 19 when this happened. She was a legal consenting adult. Mm-hmm. The character, yes, is 17, but this is a period piece. It's 1912. People were getting married when they were 14 years old. Like, yeah. this is not outside the realm of possibility. Just that, you know, that's a can of worms. But if you are a full-grown adult in the year 2023 and you are going to meet Kate Winslet at a film festival, do not ask her to sign a naked portrait of herself from when she was a teenager. That's fucking weird. I agree. And it feels like those people kind of missed the whole point of Titanic. Right. Where, like, they literally criticize 
Bill Paxton and his crew at the start of the movie going, hey, aren't you just like pilfering a graveyard? And he's like, no, I mean, kind of, but it's science, uh, it's history. Uh, we're also trying to find a really expensive gem so we can sell it. But it, it, it's the dehumanization of, of people. Yeah. And I think that we do that a lot with celebrities, um, particularly because we see them as the person where it's like, oh, well, this meant a lot to the character and you mean a lot to me, which means that we must be connecting here at this third part of the triangle. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember I had a really unpleasant conversation with a woman one time who said she went to an estate sale in Los Angeles here where... It was some some older gay guy who I think died because he was selling all of his stuff. So it would make sense. And apparently he just had an entire room full of oil paintings where it was like Daniel Radcliffe and Tom Holland in provocative poses getting like railed really hard for like gay pornography. And like I said, that's like really weird. And I think that that's kind of obsessive and creepy that this dude just had commissioned dozens of paintings of like young twinkie celebrities to get fucked like that and mm -hmm. she's like no i mean it's funny it's whatever and i'm like it's not funny it's it's gross and it's like really feels like you're stripping away their autonomy for like sexual pleasure it's weird and she's like whatever they're like millionaires so who gives a shit and i'm like that is absolutely not the right response no people like, because, are weird because it gets into like the the argument that we have now with like deep fake porn where yeah. it's like that's so beyond unethical. These are people first. And the fact that like you are going up to like Kate Winslet or you don't see why this is an issue that the like so many of these paintings were made in this dude's house means that you're dehumanizing people. Right. Which is the moral of Titanic. Yeah, the entire <laughs> point of this movie is that Rose is retelling this story, one, because she's proving that she existed and didn't die on the Titanic, mm -hmm. but more importantly, that the, the people died. Like, actual people fucking died. It's not just like, oh my God, and can you believe it? The fucking boat fell apart. Because, like, you know, Mr. Bodine disaster splains to Rose what happened with the Titanic at the beginning of the movie with like his new cool like he's digital. He's real proud of his he's graphics. He's so proud of his graphics. Fucking like graphics. And it does this and then it splits and she's basically like yes honey I was there. Thank you. That was a riveting performance. People fucking died you asshole. It's so fucking traumatic. It, that, that, that scene is why Pearl Harbor is bad. Oh my god. Speaking of Michael Bay from earlier and his understanding of disaster and romance. That scene is like Michael Bay going, I want to do that though. Yeah, it's <laughs> I want to just display all of this to people and really fuck up everyone's understanding of emotion. Yeah, it's it's wild. So go, going back to Rose, obviously, and like yes. the humanization yes, of this whole thing. That's what this is, this is about. Because this is what it's about. Yes. Um, so after, you know, they do the sketch drawing, they are running around on the dock. They're having a good time, but they have been spotted because... Uh, again, Billy Zane is a total asshole, and he has his manservant, Spicer Lovejoy. What a name. That is not a name. That, is, that <laughs> what man a isn't fucking real. Name. I think that man is real, but that man's not real. <laughs> but, like, so he's got this guy being paid to just, like, stalk her, which is so creepy and weird. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yes, people are on the run. They're trying to, like, capture them because how dare they, you know, how dare this commoner be with this rich lady who mm -hmm. is bequeathed to so-and-so betrothed. That's the word I wanted, not yes, bequeathed. bequeathed. But like a betrothed to, to so-and-so. So they hide out in the car. The car scene is so goddamn important mm -hmm. for so many reasons. And yes, the hand on the windshield has become its own cultural moment. 
I mean, this movie has a lot of cultural It has moments. a lot of them, but, like, that's a King, big one. King of the world, or, like, I'm flying, these things that have just permeated, like, culture to a point mm-hmm. where I think I think it's safe to say that basically everyone has seen Titanic at this point, but if you haven't, you know these scenes. You know these scenes. Like, you've, you've understood like, this movie through cultural osmosis. cultural permeation, like, saturation, the sponge can hold no more water. Absolutely. And, like, I did completely, like, skim over the, like, Jack, I'm flying scene because, like, yes, it is beautiful. Yes, it is also taking control of like oh you were gonna jump off the boat and now you're on top of the boat and how beautiful Mm -hmm. it is but because the drawing scene comes directly after like the kiss is the spark the drawing is the flame like Mm -hmm. we are now on fire and we're about to uh explode in this car scene how do you feel about the car scene i'm gonna ask you first because i don't want to completely just take over this whole conversation so first of all, I remember uh, being a small child in school and going to school after <laughs> seeing Titanic, and we were all children who did not understand what sex was because we're six, and we're going, "What happened? Why? Why did her hand go up? I don't understand." And one of my classmates, I distinctly remember going, "I was talking to my sister, Jack Bitter," <laughs> and we're all like, "Why did he bite her?" <laughs> and then we just didn't know. <laughs> We got no further elaboration, so we just assumed the Jack Bitter. <laughs> that makes me think about how, like, there was this family <laughs> when I went to elementary school who adopted kids, and they were kids from, an, they, they were immigrant children, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> there was a kid in our school who fully was like, did you hear, we'll use, like, the Smith family as, like, a name, did you hear the Smith family just bought some kids and we're like, I think it's called adoption. And they're like, no, they bought them. And like, as an adult in my head, I'm like, oh no, they did. Like, cause there's no such thing as like ethical adoption. Um, so kid was kind of right, but for the wrong reason. His wordage was very wrong. Right. So whatever you say, like, no, Jack Bitter. I mean, that's he what probably I think did, of. but I mean, yeah, probably. amongst other Here's things. Here's the thing. I don't think Jack bit her. I think Rose bit Jack. Yeah, maybe. Because in the sex scene, so like it starts off and it's very cute and playful and it's like, where to, madam? To the stars. Like, okay, mm-hmm. thank you for being extremely sentimental, James Cameron. I understand. But she pulls him in the backseat, so she's initiating everything. She like delicately kisses the tips of his fingers. If this was not PG-13, I feel like she would suck on them, mm-hmm. but it's PG-13. I don't think that would be as romantic for mass audiences. Also that too, because people are weird. Um, so she's like, you know, being very delicate. And then she says, put your hands on me. And he kind of looks at her like a, what? Like it's, he's clearly not ready for it. And she kisses him and she puts his hand on her breast. Like Mm -hmm. Rose is in fucking charge of this entire situation. And obviously it cuts because it's a PG-13 movie. So then it's just like, here's a shot of the boat. There it is. And then it comes back to, you know, the steam, the steam in the hand. And then they are just sopping wet in the back of this car, which is so beautiful for a couple reasons. One, it's beautiful because like they went at it. Like this was not just like, two pumps and then we're done. Like they clearly put some work in cause they are dripping in sweat. Mm-hmm. Um, which is also really devastating because it's like, this is the moment where it's like, we have solidified our love and we are soaking wet and they will end their love 
also soaking wet. Again, that 101 where everything Mm -hmm. comes back. Everything comes back. Chekhov's post-coital sweat, I guess. Chekhov being (laughs) damp. Um, But when they're done, like when they're like catching their breath, she pulls Jack to her chest. Like she is also providing aftercare in this situation because like she, this is for her. She's in control of every single aspect of this entire exchange from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Like, she is holding him like, you are mine. This is what I wanted. And I don't know. Like, I think that was the first time. Because my parents let me watch whatever I wanted. It was not my first sex scene. I had seen plenty of sex scenes beforehand. Oh, it was my first. But it was. At least one that I can remember. (laughs) But it was the first time that I had actually seen, like, aftercare and, like, cuddle like post-coital cuddling Mm -hmm. i mean honestly most of the sex scenes i saw were probably in slasher movies so they didn't get through it they they didn't get to the part where they could cuddle (laughs) no they didn't get to that part or it was like they cut and then they're in like the separate parts of the bed with the comforter over their chest and one of them is smoking and the other one is laying there like that was great yeah but like there's still it has a whole lot of don't touch me energy yeah yeah it does (laughs) versus this one's like keep touching this one is like keep touching me i just want to like lay here and just absorb this moment and just revel in it and let it consume me. Mm-hmm. But of course, love joys on their trail. They have to get out. So then they do their little hijinks and they escape. And they but, go outside and then the iceberg. Yep. And then in the iceberg. Yeah. Things, things all go very downhill from here. And then it's still romantic. There's lots of romantic moments. Yeah. But, you know, it's mostly tragedy. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot of tragedy, but it is one of those, like, you know, love persevering sort of situations. Like, Cal is still very much going after her. And I've heard some people argue, it's like, well, this is proof that Cal actually loves Rose because he's not willing to, like, let her go. And I'm like, or... Cal just doesn't want to lose, and he certainly doesn't want to lose to, like, this poor kid from Wisconsin. At least at this stage, Mm -hmm. that is is his modus operandi. Later on, I put the code on her! Yeah. (laughs) And then that becomes his motivation. Yeah, because then he wants wants the the, the necklace back. Yeah, like, later on, when they're looking for survivors, and he's down with, like, the common folk, and he looks sad, it's like, yeah, he's upset about the gem. He didn't give a shit about her. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, so yeah, we get, we get the tragedy stuff where, you know, he gets falsely set up for stealing and Rose is like, oh, I guess he stole. And then it's like, no, he didn't. What the hell am I doing? And she saves him. Um, there's the great scene of her not knowing how to use an ax and then shockingly. Choke, choke up on it. Don't close your <laughs> eyes. Try and hit the same spot. Totally whiffs it. Yep. It's a good little tension break. Yeah. It's really nice. Um, but then, you know, you've got these moments where, they, they do get her on a boat and they're going to send her off to safety. And she's like, no, I don't because I know what happens. Like he's going to die and Cal might live and I'm going to be stuck with him. And I don't fucking want that. Is, is that the scene that you love where Leo's looking down at her and there's fireworks and shit in the back? And you're yeah, like, it looks it's like, like Gatsby. Yeah, it's because uh, it's. It's They're flares. flares, but it looks like fireworks and it kind of looks like the Great Gatsby. And I always look at that and I was like, this is such a weird juxtaposition because, again, we're seeing him through her eyes. So it, he does look like so important and so beautiful. But then you think about the reality of the situation where it's like, those are flares because people are dying. <laughs> they, these are... SOS calls for help. Yeah, but it's just over here looking like the Miss Firecracker poster. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, you know, Rose ends up jumping off of the lifeboat to reunite with Jack, and we get my favorite line delivery in the entire movie. 
You're so stupid. You're so stupid, Rose. You're so stupid. Like and he's just I, like kissing her, and it's very sweet. But like, yeah, you are being stupid. You're being so fucking dumb. Um, but you know what? I get it. Like again, it's it's that like I'd rather uh, teenage feelings of I would rather die with you than you dying alone. Yes, than you dying alone. Or me living if it means I'm going to immediately, the second we get off this boat, get stuck with Cal for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Like, I get it. Like, she doesn't want that life. So she says, fuck it, I'm not doing it. Uh, We also get the wonderful reveal that Cal is an expert piece of shit because he uses a child as a a shield because he's a monster. He saved that child's life. Yeah, sure. That child was probably going to be saved anyway because they were shoving any woman and child onto a boat. He, he wanted. Was, he was hiding in a corner. He's the worst. <laughs> God, what a monster! Um, so you know, then I yeah. mean, all of the dudes that survive are monsters. Like fucking Cadbury ends up just hopping in there and then just is like, no, don't make. It's like when someone cuts you off in traffic and they're right next to you at a stoplight and you're like, nope, don't look at them. To me, <laughs> don't make eye contact. Genuinely, here the him on the boat not making eye contact with anybody and refusing to look forward. To me is when rich people are at intersections and people are standing with cardboard signs. Mm -hmm. Like that's what that feels like to me more than anything because he did just fuck over a bunch of people by taking that spot Mm -hmm. and he knows it. What a coward. Um, So yeah, you've got got Rose and Jack uh, having to go through the water, having to go through all this like nonsense. The boat is sinking. They get to the very, very top of the boat and uh, Kate Winslet improv the line like, hey, Jack, this is where we first met, which mm-hmm. I think is so lovely. Uh, they get to hang out with the the chef who really did survive. Oh, that guy is a badass. And he also drank an assload of alcohol beforehand, which helped keep well, his body th- temperature. That's, that's the thing everyone knows. Or it's like, yeah, he got real drunk and he survived the... The, the the cold waters like I remember going to the Great Lakes Science Center and learning about that at the traveling Titanic exhibit <laughs> but like the things they have don't acknowledge is like that dude was just like throwing shit into the water so that people could like grab things to, to float, float onto he was like hurling people into boats like he like stood on the back of the thing by himself as it went down like dude was so fucking cool <laughs> yeah that dude rules um, I read a thing about how like in terms of throwing people onto the lifeboats is that there was a lifeboat like near where the kitchen was and there there was also all these like rich people and he was like get on the fucking boat it's going down and the rich people were like no i think it'd be safer on the titanic i'll stay on the big boat rather than go in the little dinghy and he's like all right fuck you then and then was just like throwing poor people into this boat to try to save them uh-huh he rules he's yeah. awesome so i love that they have you know since you know rose and jack are like not real characters since james cameron is like i oh, don't know i'm obsessed with this whole situation i gotta be obsessed with this guy too yeah so like them having that shared moment i think is really lovely um it, it just really beautiful there there's the moment when the titanic is ass up and uh that dude falls off the back and hits the propeller that's always good the and people so, some, who fly some, down and hit the tables some dude had to animate that some dude did have to animate that. Like, some dude spent, like, two weeks making that. And here's the thing, is I distinctly remember, I don't know if this would have been a thing for you, but I remember Titanic was so big, and it stayed in theaters for, like, 11 months or something absurd. Do you know what movie dethroned Titanic from the box office? I learned this recently. Kangaroo Jack. Lost in Space with, like, oh. Matt Blanc and oh. Lacey Chabert. That is... All right. Yeah. You know that Titanic had run out of steam to maintain its number one spot if that's what knocked it off. And it's still like that weekend had like $11.6 million. It was still something really high, but that was the first movie that <laughs> was higher. Was that piece of shit? That's absurd. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So I, because it was around for so long and it had total like cultural saturation, 
I remember being like eight years old by this point, probably. And that's when boys started to revolt. They started to like develop feelings about Titanic, but they were negative feelings about Titanic because mm-hmm. girls like Titanic and that boy's pretty. And no, you know what? I think it's funny when the guy hits the propeller and it is a little bit funny when the guy hits the propeller or like, no, um, I think that they should have let that ch- child who was screaming for his daddy drown or like, no, that's when you get the people who they could have fit on the fucking door because we have to start poking holes in this movie and making fun of tragedy because we're edgy little eight year old boys. And we have to hate a thing that girls like and mm-hmm. go out of our way to do it at the expense of making fun of a real tragedy. Mm-hmm. No, you're absolutely right. And so I don't, I don't know if you experienced that firsthand. Oh, no, I, I was did. in the thick of that. Oh, I did. And it was always really annoying. And of course, like when you're a seven, eight year old girl, you don't have the language to defend yourself in that outside of like, I just like this movie mm-hmm. because you don't know how to assess media at that age. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was always really obnoxious and annoying and people got made fun of for liking Titanic all the time because like it's a kissing movie basically like it's that sort of mentality um but obviously like we know how Titanic ends the the boat goes down what (laughs) uh Jack dies um but the one of the conversations they have though that I do really love is when she tells Jack that she loves him and he's basically like don't do that because Mm -hmm. you're not saying your goodbyes to me And I have seen some people be like, see, that's proof he didn't actually love her. And it's like, no, that is proof that he genuinely really does love her because he knows the second he says, I love you too, and accepts it, she gives up. Mm -hmm. Like, she's going to give up. And he's like, nope, we're not doing that. Like, we're not acting as if this is futile. I I will follow you into the dark, as it were. Yes, exactly. It's like, nope, you're going to live. You're going to have a bunch of babies because he's clearly just like spitballing while freezing his ass off. Die warm in your bed. Yep, die warm in your bed. Like, this is what you're going to do. You're going to live a long life. And that that is the ultimate act of love is because he knows he's dying. He's not stupid. He's in the fucking water. Mm -hmm. He's dying. She could live, though. She's above the water. And, you know, that I think is really, really beautiful. And the fact that she does not give up because of him is, you know, wonderful and also a very 17 year old girl thing to do. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also because Rose is a new woman now. She's liberated. She is not held to the same standard she has to be by her wealthy family. Mm -hmm. She can have a fresh start with this. She faked her death. Because she did. She faked her death. Yeah. Because even when they like when old Rose calls and was like, I was on the boat and here's who I am, they're like, No, you're not, you old bat. She died. Well the thing is like her mom lived. Mm-hmm. And I think that we would assume that she decided to never see her mom again. She never again. saw her mom ever again. And she never saw her family. Mom, Mom's going to be having a bad time. Yeah. The, uh, the, the Great Depression's going to hit and oh. everyone's going to have a bad time. Oh, my God. So the Great <laughs> Depression hits. And one of your favorite lines in the whole movie is Old Rose talking about Cal Hockley and what happens to him. <laughs> okay. So it's not even the line. It's, it's the delivery it's and the, the smirk. It's the delivery and the smirk. So, yeah, when Old Rose is like, you know... I changed my name. I started going by Rose Dawson. She takes Jack's last name and Mm -hmm. kind of has her own life moving forward. But uh, she's like, you know, Cal inherited his millions and then the stock market crashed and then he shot himself. Or so I've read. And then she makes like (laughs) the sassiest like side eye you've ever seen out of an 80 something year old. Good for you. Oh, no, she's 101. Yeah. Um, Good for you. (laughs) She's amazing. I love Gloria Stewart. Go watch The Invisible Man. She's in that. Um, So (laughs) 
just just remarkable. So we, yeah, we know how it ends, and it is like this beautiful thing where she did have a wonderful life, and she did. She becomes Amelia Earhart, and she <laughs> she goes to the Santa Monica Pier and rides horses through the surf like a real cowboy, mm-hmm. and. She she marries another guy and has kids and, and grandkids. And I have slight feelings about how this ends. So Rose dies, warm in her bed, dragging all of her earthly possessions to this boat. And she has this, I guess, afterlife moment where she's back on the Titanic and they open the doors and there's the, the, the band of musicians who played on the deck and Victor Garber and Jack's waiting for her on the stairwell and... In I love that he's dressed like himself, though. Yeah. That he's not he's in the suit. Like I, everyone else? Yeah, no, I think he's not, that They're not wearing their best? Yeah, because she's seeing him the way that he's supposed to be. Yeah. The, the man that he was, not the, the man he pretended to be for a, for an evening. Yes, but the thing in in my brain that I notice is, wait, she married a man, presumably some... Calvert. Old, some Calvert? I was That's gonna, his last name, but is yeah. It, I was going to be like some Earl Burt Humphrey... I don't know what this old man's name was, but she decided after dying and presumably being married to this man for 50, 60 years, she goes, no, I'm going to go hang out with my 17-year-old crush for the re- for in the afterlife. <laughs> I mean, because he <laughs> saved her in every number of way a person can be saved. I know, but it's just like, oh man, like he- th- That th- dick was too bomb, those, Harmony. Those three days on the Titanic together was better <laughs> than 60 years of marriage. <laughs> I mean, like, when you spell it out like that, it does sound insane, but also... But, like, that's the power of love or something. That's the power of love, Or maybe in the afterlife, you're just popping in for a visit, and then you can go and, like, see some other... You're not confined to the wreckage of the Titanic in the spirit world, like it's the Mm -hmm. goddamn Overlook Hotel or something. (laughs) Right. Like, you can just come and go as a ghost. I don't know. I mean, it's her way to have the life with him that she was supposed to have, but didn't get to have because he died. Yeah, of course. So, like, I get it. It is I get it. It's just this thing that I noticed <laughs> where I'm like, well, I can't it, unsee this now. Yeah, when you think about it practically, it's like, wait a minute. And like her granddaughter's there the whole time and she's basically like, sorry, Lizzie, but grandpa was not the love of my life. Well, You're lucky to be here. That's also after her granddaughter's like, okay, grandma, let's get you to sleep. You weren't on the Titanic. Right. <laughs> Wild shit. Um, so in thinking about the legacy of this movie, though, because like we said, this movie is so important to just multiple generations of people. I'm going to just straight up recite what I wrote for my piece about this because I wrote it better than I can improv it now. Sure. While there are certainly more explicit sex scenes in cinema, they're not typically found in films that are tied for winning the most Academy Awards. Titanic is a historical disaster epic, but one that is so deeply interwoven with a tale of sexual liberation that to remove it would be to fundamentally gut the heart of James Cameron's message. Due to the film's immense popularity, Rose is often cited by many millennials as the first version of a nude woman they ever saw on screen, and the sex scene between her and Jack was many a generation's introduction to the concept long before their parents gave them a talk about the birds and the bees. An unfortunate reality is that only 38% of high schools and 14% of middle schools across the United States teach all 19 topics identified as critical for sex education by the CDC. There is obviously no data to support my theory, but if my experiences as a seven-year-old in 1997 are any indicator, that scene forced a hell of a lot of parents to explain to their children what sex was, and for that we should all be grateful. I am fortunate to have been raised by parents that never stigmatized sex or nudity, but I'd be lying if I said I didn't think about Kate Winslet every time I drop my robe in front of my wife, 
Hey. Oh, hey. Hoping to capture a fraction of her confidence before she posed for Jack. And I'll admit, the best sex of my life has been in the sex where I'm the most like Rose, in complete control of my own desire. If you just drop your robe in front of me, I'm just going to go, <laughs> nice. <laughs> you have ooh boobies to me before. Yeah, well, a couple times. Which is really funny. <laughs> it's just so easy. I don't think it's boobies so much as it's just like, hey, titties. Yeah. But the thing is, like, I'm thrilled that this is the the scene that a lot of people saw for the first time because I think that it's so well done. Like it never feels exploitive. It also, you know, it serves the narrative purpose. So the people who are like, there's no benefit to having sex scenes, like mm-hmm. shut up. Yes, it does. There's been a, like the entire story is cruxed on this sex scene and it takes 80 plus years to fully unravel the story of their love and their legacy and what it meant. And it also humanizes a horrible tragedy that like, because so many of us are so distanced from, it's hard for us to remember more than just statistics. Like people love to spot out like 1500 people died and 1500 of those people had stories. Mm -hmm. They had lives. I mean, like we even get like the brief moment where Jeanette Goldstein is the Irish mom tucking her kids in and reading them a bedtime story, hoping that they will go to sleep and not have to feel pain when they die. Mm -hmm. Like that shit is so tragic and heartbreaking. And it's important that you remember that these stories of these people existed because otherwise like you lose empathy for those situations. That's why it's so important whenever we have these like terrible issues of like police brutality or mass shootings. Like that's why we say things like say their name, because if you don't humanize them, you like you lose that the sense of the severity you lose their story like, it's a fucking point in Silence of the Lambs, for God's sake. She says Catherine a hundred times because she's hoping that it will remind Buffalo Bill that Catherine is a person. Like, mm-hmm. because people, like, there's, like, that disconnect that we have because we are such a death-denying culture, especially in America, where we we just don't do that. We think about people in numbers. We're, like, we're, we're experiencing it right now with fucking COVID. Thousands of people are dying every single day, and people are like, well, that sucks, but not me. And it's like, what if you knew every single person's story? Like, what if you were forced to be inundated with all of the wonderful experience they had and the heartbreaks and whatever? You'd probably feel a lot different about them dying. Mm-hmm. So, like, this movie is so fucking important. And the fact that it is a 17-year-old girl's story, like, that importance cannot be separated from it. Yeah, you're right. I have nothing else to add to that. <laughs> and like, I apologize that I definitely have kind of like bogarted this entire episode. I've just hey, been, I've been you, thinking about it a lot. <laughs> I, you've been writing about it. You've been, you've watched the movie twice now. Um, I don't know. I think that if you hadn't dominated this conversation, I don't know how much I can say about Titanic other than going, oh, there's this little moment that's nice. Mm-hmm. There's this little moment that's nice. Or like, Kate Winslet's unbelievably good. God, she's so good. Leo didn't find this material challenging, and I think it shows. What's fascinating, too, is to think about some of the people that were considered for his character. Um, The one that is most like, huh, to me, is Jeremy Sisto, um, who I had to remind you is Elton in Clueless. Mm -hmm. That would have been such a fascinating choice to me because he has like that very distinct voice, and he brings an entirely different type of guy than Leo. Yeah. Um, so that would have been really, really interesting to see. I mean, the perfect world would have been that River Phoenix didn't die. Yeah, River Phoenix was the person who was supposed to, and then he unfortunately passed, and 
his loss is immeasurable in so many ways. Um, he would have been perfect. He would have been so much better. Oh my God. He would have been incredible. <laughs> like Kate Winslet, nobody else could have done her, but no. Like... And there, there were like a lot of high profile people considered for the role. And I'm so glad that none of them got, got it because I think she's perfect. I mm-hmm. genuinely think she's perfect in this role. Um, there's something about the fact that she is so clearly a teenager kind of lashing out, so to speak, but at the same time has such an otherworldly knowledge of society and culture because of the way that she's been raised and subsequently rebelled from that upbringing that Kate Winslet just captures effortlessly. Mm -hmm. I think she's just really remarkable in this role. Um, And especially knowing she did it when she was 19 is like even more impressive because she's an actual teenager still. And yet she just she just steals every moment she's on screen she's unbelievable and it's a good thing she does oh yeah because i'm not sure how long this would have worked or how well this movie would have landed if you had made that change to it though those the speaking of changes oh you didn't talk about the ending oh let's talk about that alternate ending because (laughs) it's maybe my favorite thing about titanic for all of the wrong reasons so for those that don't know There is an alternate ending to Titanic that was shot, edited, scored. Like, they did everything. This is not just, like, random footage. Like, they almost considered this ending. This was almost the real ending. Where, uh, when Rose, old Rose goes to drop the the necklace, where... Drop that big, chunky Claire's jewelry. It looks so cheap and cheesy. Mm -hmm. Um, But when when she does it in the the regular one, you know, she's by herself. It's this quiet, poetic moment just for her. Mm -hmm. It's really beautiful. In the alternate ending... Lizzie and Bill Paxton um, see Rose at the edge and they think this bitch about to jump again. Jump off the back of a different (laughs) boat. And there's this dramatic like pounding music that's like, oh no, it's suddenly like a chase scene. And she's like, stand back. I'll do it. Like she's holding someone hostage. (laughs) It's so funny because she really is like, I'll drop it. And they're like, don't do it. And like, he's got his arm stretched out. Like it Uh really does look like a hostage situation. Don't come any closer. I'll drop it. Look, Rose, I don't know what to say to a woman who tries to jump off the Titanic when it's not sinking and then jumps back on when it is. (laughs) I'm not dealing with logic here, I know that, but please, think about this for a second. Oh, I've thought about this for years. And I've come all the way here to put it back where it belongs. Wait. Just let me hold it in my hand. Please. You look for treasure in the wrong place, Mr. Lovett. Only life is priceless. And making each day count. (gasps) Jesus, no! Would you like to dance?
So Bill Paxton accepts she's going to throw this no matter what, and he just wants to hold it in his hand, like, you know, fly a little close to the sun, mm-hmm. and then she throws it, and, and she, goes, ah! <laughs> she makes the she makes the sound, um, and then Bill Paxton throws his head back and laughs like a maniac. And there's a crane shot on this boat? Yeah, it's wild, and then, like... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Louis Abernathy, who plays Louis Modine, wearing a Hawaiian shirt over a shirt that says no whining. Um, is Proceeds like, to whine. He proceeds to whine the entire time. Um, but Bill Paxton, like, sees him looking shocked and, like, points at him and laughs in his face. Like, it, he's just completely lost it. And then he randomly, like, looks to Lizzie, the granddaughter, and is like, you want to dance? And it's, like, this weird, awkward Dude's throwback. having a breakdown. He's I, lost it. I think it. it's supposed to be like, oh, the heart of the ocean is going to bring these two characters that we don't really like spending that much time with together. I think that's what was supposed to be the point, but and, it just is insanity. And then Rose dies and the movie kind of plays out the same. But wow. Like imagine <laughs> that that's the actual ending of this movie. How much does it change? Because to me, that feels like the payoff of like, hey, guess what? The happening, it's just fucking trees. Like it feels like the most whiffed ending you can imagine for this grand epic story. So I wrote about the ending as well <laughs> for Titanic Week because I was like, I need people to know that this exists. Mm-hmm. And I think the way I re- rephrased it is like the ending of this movie would have been like if you watched all of Titanic only to find out it was just a crummy commercial for Ovaltine. Uh-huh. Like it's the fucking Christmas story because it just whiffs it so bad with that ending. So thank God whoever was like, James, we're not, we can't do that. Uh-huh. Like, whether it was himself I don't or know. someone in the producer, like I don't know who told him. I mean, not that ending. It was clearly a good enough idea that they shot it and edited it, and I don't know who in the line decided to look at this and go, "No." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whose idea that was, but like they had enough confidence to at least take a shot at it and go pretty far along the way to mm-hmm. making it the real ending. You can find it on YouTube. It is a nightmare. Uh, it is like. It, you think that we're being dramatic when we say, like, Everything, Bill Paxton laughs like a maniac. Yeah. We're not. Everything <laughs> impressive and fantastic about Titanic, this is the opposite of it. <laughs> it is such a weird ending. But luckily that doesn't happen. It doesn't exist. Um, thank all that is holy for that. And I, I, I can't imagine this would be the highest grossing film no. of all time at the oh time. Oh, my God, no. That I was think, the real ending. I think it would have, like, people would have been pissed. I because people, that's that's what you leave the you leave the theater on. Recency bias. Yeah, people would be like, ew, what the fuck was that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but luckily, we got a pretty perfect ending that, of course, is is just wrapped up in a nice little bow of Celine Dion singing her goddamn face off. Celine's... Very that key change. No, nothing mm. but love for Celine and her current struggles. Yes. Because that shit's rough. Yeah, very, very true. Um, but yeah, My Heart Will Go On. Amazing song. Obviously one for obvious reasons, because listen to it. So Harmony, the time has come. Titanic is asking you to the prom. Mm-hmm. Isn't it yes, a no, a maybe? Are you buying her tickets so she can go on her own? I had not revisited Titanic in maybe 20 years? Mm-hmm. It'd been a long hey, time. Hey, you and Kate Winslet have that in common. <laughs> yeah, no, it'd been a long time since I actually, like, like you'll be flipping through TV and you'll catch a little bit, or it'll be, like, on the TV at, like, a bar or something like that, because it'll just play on TNT or some shit. So I've, like, caught bits of it. Obviously, I know this movie pretty well in and out, aside from the little moments, which are the parts that I think are actually the best parts for me. But, man, I, I feel very in the middle 
mm-hmm. on, on Titanic. I will say it's significantly better than Avatar for me as far as like James Cameron making movies that aren't for me are concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I'm, I, I don't want to say anything bad about this because like it's a perfectly good movie for what it is. I somehow I don't really understand the culture that made it the biggest movie of all time at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, the power of teen girls, I suppose. Always the power of teen girls. It really is. We are unstoppable. So I'm just I'm gonna send it on its own because mm-hmm. I truly don't know when I'm gonna sit down and revisit this movie. Um, I'm absolutely not gonna watch it in 3D. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. I don't need to see somebody hitting a propeller in 3D. That just seems. I mean, maybe grim. that's the only part I want to see. <laughs> Dude, Jackass 3 is the best 3D experience I've ever had in a theater. That might be the best part. <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't want to say, like, I'm I'm not thrilled to revisit this. I think it's perfectly fine for what it is. It's not perfect. But I think that's just kind of what James Cameron is doing at this point, which is he's making movies that appeal to such a broad, like, almost focused group appeal of the human race. Mm-hmm. That it doesn't work for me anymore, but it works for everyone else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's good. You you do you. You make your money. You save your whales. If you ever want James Cameron to be excited about something, just go huck it in the ocean and then he'll make a documentary <laughs> about it. Um, yeah, it can go on its own. I'm, I'm, I'm set with that answer. And I think that that's totally fine because regardless of how you felt about it, like this boat is going into prom. Like they are forcing their way into the prom no matter what because they are... This thing's about to like speed two all the way into the land. <laughs> it is It is just such a cultural juggernaut that it cannot be ignored. No, like, it's back in theaters again. For yeah. like the sixth time. Mm-hmm, it sure is. And it's killing it because people fucking love this movie. And well, they restored it. So maybe the boat looks better and now. And here's the thing. I get it. Like I so get it. This movie, this this appeals to my like most primitive brain possible where I just am like, yeah, I, f- I fucking love this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Which, <laughs> I, there are very few things I would change. Like knowing it could be better is is one thing. But like every time I watch it, I'm like, I'm never upset that I watched Titanic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's there's something I respect in much the way that I love like the work of Jim Steinman. There's something about the biggest, most romantic, overblown feelings imaginable just being yes. put into a movie. There's 100%. something I respect about that, and I enjoy that. I don't enjoy it for three hours. Three plus hours. <laughs> See, whereas I can do that all day. Yeah. Because that's just who I am. So. I just, I'm good. I get it. I get it. And I think that if this movie was set up like the VHS, where there's an intermission, like it's fucking RRR, mm-hmm. I think that might have worked better for me, where it's like, cool, okay. get up and walk around for 20 minutes, come back, and then all shit hits the fan. You know, that's not a bad that, idea. That If I rewatch Titanic, I'm going to replicate the VHS experience and take an you. intermission. Because I know exactly where it is, and I'll oh, pause it right for course. you. That If I ever do, that's how it's going to be. <laughs> Alrighty, I think that takes us out on the wonderful film that is Titanic. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram and maybe TikTok if I've kept it. Who knows? At BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And as always, massive, massive, massive thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. I have no idea where you're going to go with this, but... What musical act are you recommending this week based on Titanic or inspired by Titanic? Yeah, there was a lot of different ways I could have gone with this. I was like, let me try some traditional Irish folk music because that's what the score of this is sort of built on. Uh, Maybe try to find an indie equivalent of like Celine Dion, which as, as far as I could find is impossible. 
because nothing like Celine exists in an indie sphere. Because if you have a voice like that, then how would you not blow up immediately? Right. Um, so I have a question for you. Remember that time where a spaceman went to the bottom of the ocean and got the heart of the ocean and gifted it to Britney Spears in space? Are and you recommending Britney Spears? <laughs> something akin to Britney Spears, yes, okay. actually. So this is your long walk to how you got this to relate to Titanic. Yeah. Well, okay. it's, be- it's because the Titanic reference spoken word dialogue, for some reason, is just in the regular version of Oops, I Did It Again, and I don't know why. Yeah, it's on the album. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't get why. That's just part of the song. So that's my relation. Also, I think as far as like a teen girl or an adolescent girl in the year 1997 to like 2002, Britney Spears is far bigger than anything else I could pick that would relate to this movie mm-hmm. from 1912. Yeah. So the person I am shouting out is named Amy. It's A-I-M-E-E, but the first E has an accent over it. Mm -hmm. She's Irish, so that's part of me tying this in. So like Irish pop song. Yes. So she's an indie Irish pop artist who is heavily influenced by like Max Martin production of of Christina Aguilera, Britney Spears, the Backstreet Boys, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. But like funneled through more of a modern thing. Like some of these songs have a bit of an Ariana Grande vibe Mm -hmm. and... I think that she does some cool stuff. She popped on my radar a couple of years ago because she does a pretty nice cover of Linger and Dreams by the Cranberries. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, one of them I think is for like a tribute to the Cranberries. That's quite quite good. But she just released a new song called Hurts Like Hell. (laughs) I mean... Don't jump in the water, Rose. It's yes. going to feel like a thousand knives. That's kind of where I was going with this. A lot of her songs are about just like love and being a, a young woman trying to make it in music in Ireland. And I don't know. I, I feel like that that seems like an appropriate fit for this movie, yeah. considering it really was putting me in a weird spot as far as recommending something similar <laughs> to the biggest movie ever. And also a style of music that is a hundred years old. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I, I like I like where you went with this. I was very creative. <laughs> yes, I, I tried. Alrighty, we will see you next week. Thank you again for listening. And as always, save that last dance for us. Bye. Bye. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.